0: This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Tamisha Walker. She is the founding member and executive director of the Safe Return Project, a campaign to secure the freedom and liberation of formerly incarcerated individuals. Welcome to our show.
1: Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. All
0: right. So, uh, why don't we start with uh, maybe a discussion of uh, what the Safe Return Project is?
1: Yeah. So, I like to, I mean, Safe Return, we are a, fiscally sponsored project. Um, We were founded by nine formerly incarcerated um, and convicted individuals. And the work is really just around, you know, re-enfranchising our folks who've been impacted by the criminal legal system, but also making sure that we change those systems um, while assisting our folks in healing, um, and learning how to organize in our own communities. Um, I always say safe return isn't necessarily a project or an organization, but more of an idea that everybody is worthy um, of investment so that they can make change um, for themselves and for their community.
0: So how'd you come about this?
1: You know, I was home probably tw- I was home maybe a year and a half when I uh, got a flyer from my probation officer. I was struggling to find employment, so I decided to go to school like everybody does. It's like, <laughs> gonna go to school, and so um, was like, hey, they're hiring. Formerly incarcerated people, you might qualify, um, you should call. And so I called the flyer and Eli Moore, who was with Pacific Institute at the time, who is now with Other and Belonging in Berkeley, answered the phone. You know, he I left him a message, said that I was interested in interviewing and um, got the interview and the rest is history. I've been, I'm a found, co-founder and I've been with Safe Return for about, Ooh, since 2010.
0: And I understand you have your own uh, very interesting incarceration experience. Would you care to share that?
1: Yeah, I've been um, in and out of the criminal legal system since I was a youth. So I was arrested 22 times, all before I turned 18. Um, and so it was like you know being arrested that many times as a young person it was really um challenging to try to you know no there were no resources it was nobody slowed down and said wait a minute why do we keep arresting this young person like let's find some resources and then my la- and then my last incarceration I was 26 years old and um You know, it was it's public record. It was for arson of an inhabited structure, Um, and I had some real struggles at that time. And so, just going, being in jail, fighting to not go to prison for ten years, was very challenging. And I was a mom. I had just had a kid. I had already had a a older son. It was like. 10 years old, you know, so it was just like, I had like a, no, I had a 12-year-old and a (laughs) two-year-old. And even like going to court to have to give up custody of my two-year-old from jail and being, and walking past him in handcuffs. And I like looked down and saw this little kid and then by the time I got back to the cell, I was like, that's my baby. That was my baby. I had not seen him. I hadn't seen him for almost six months. And he grew so much. And I, the first time I seen him in six months was walking past him in the hallway of a courthouse and not recognizing that he was my kid until I got back to the cell. And I had just saw a lot of women struggle go in and out the jail, um, go from jail to prison, come from prison to jail. Um, and so the experience showed me what I didn't want to experience anymore, <laughs> just to say to say the least. And I also thought it was that most of the treatment was unfair. And so When I came home, I I decided they said, we'll keep the light on. And I was like, not for me because I won't be back.
0: And, you know, I love hearing these kinds of stories because so many people just kind of want to throw formerly incarcerated people to the curb um, and, you know, kind of discount them. And and yet, um, you know, uh, we know that people can turn their lives around and um, you know get out of their situation. For you, was it just a wake up call, or you know what what
1: changed? What changed for me, honestly, was I had was that first. Mm-hmm night home. I was released from jail at night with like a plastic see-through bag full of whatever belongings I decided I wanted to keep after being, you know, being in jail for a year and some months. And nobody was there to pick me up. There was, no, there was no family greeting. There was nobody here with a car. There were no balloons. There was no welcome party. And I sat at the bus stop and waited for the bus. And I took that long ride home and got off the bus and went home to a house where people were not expecting me. That changed my life. Changed my life. And and helped me realize that I needed I needed to I needed to do something different. And that nobody else was gonna fight for me. Um and then I also started to realize when I was applying for jobs and couldn't get hired because I had a felony now that I was gonna have to fight this too. But I didn't know how. And The safer return project helped me figure that out.
0: And I think, you know, you raise a a good point um, in that everybody wants formerly incarcerated people to be able to, you know, turn their lives around and stay out of trouble and and not get arrested and not end up back in prison. But we make it almost impossible for them to do that. Um, You know, and you mentioned getting a job as a uh, you know, as a convicted felon, it, it is impossible. But so is getting a whole host of aid, getting it, uh, even student loans to go to college. I mean, if if we were going to intentionally make it really easy to recidivate, uh, our system is set up that way, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes, absolutely. Those are um, so Safer Term Project did a lot of work with Californians for Safety and Justice for years around collateral consequences, just the collateral consequences, not of having a felony, but any conviction, right? And like in California, I think there are like over, may, maybe like a little over 1,200 potential collateral consequences to having a conviction and like most people don't know that one of those is having an id right like it's a for the most part they are what they consider um like discretionary consequences which mean the state of california could choose to give you an id or not give you an id for being convicted they can give you a barber's license or not give you a barber's license right like your life is really in the hands of people who get to decide what you do next and you don't have that power and it's so discouraging and i think that like the um the biggest thing is like you you can, i'm like i went to school for I have a BA in psychology, and then I'm like going through these collateral consequences, and I find out that like if even if I wanted to become a psychologist, I had the hurdle that I have to overcome isn't like my academic ability. If I have time, if I have finances, it's my record. Um so it's it's your contribution, your contribution. The way you contribute and people say like, get out, be a productive member of society, but you don't get to choose how.
0: Yeah, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, if if you are sentenced, let's say to, you know, a year or two in jail or prison, uh, and then you're released, um, you know, you... You've paid your your due, right? That's that's the whole point of incarceration, whether we agree with that process or not. Um, and and yet, you know, we have this continuing consequences, as you put it, of uh, uh, of being convicted and incarcerated uh, that just seems self defeating, really.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and and not just the barrier, not just the collateral consequences, the disenfranchisement, but like the sheer lack of like some someone I think someone was saying, like, the worst place to live is in another person's imagination. It's also the people who say you don't look formally incarcerated. You don't sound formally incarcerated. Right. Um, and that's like but then you have to imagine to yourself in those people's minds, what do formerly incarcerated convicted people look like?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's what popped into my
1: head. <laughs> it's like, wait, 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 what am I supposed to look like and what am I supposed to sound like? Right. It's like, oh, you're very articulate for a formerly incarcerated person. It's like, well, what is a, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be right? Like. What, what do you imagine us to be and look like? And then you have to also deal with the idea that like, you know, some people are gonna always say like, oh, you're formerly incarcerated, you're a criminal, right? You're a criminal, um, you know, criminals don't deserve to room for office. Criminals, you know, should s- stay locked up, right? Like there's that narrative too. I think those are the people who I don't listen to the, for the most part because they're not, they're, they're, they aren't they are as relevant as the folks who are making the policies that continue to prevent us from legally being able to access opportunity.
0: So, um, you know, how does, I guess, your work um, at uh, Safe Return, uh,
1: parlay into this discussion? Right. So, I mean, say for term project, I mean, the tools that we use for, for like mass liberation and reenfranchisement of our folks are participatory action research, um, policy advocacy, grassroots organizing and justice reinvestment. And I think like The biggest part for us is just the deep investment in training um, our community that um, have been impacted by the criminal legal system to um, organize um, and become leaders in a community. But as a participatory action research institution, we also use community-based research, research that is shaped by and led by people directly impacted by the criminal legal system um, to find out you know what the issues are that folks are facing in the community and then um kind of put in the community-based research with the academic research and then coming up with recommendations on what needs to change whether it's policy whether it's institutions or whether it's like um, programs um, or resources and we produce these reports and you know safer term you know folks can go on our website and see all the reports that we've produced over the last whew, 12 years um and and we use a lot of that research to drive our policy advocacy and justice reinvestment work and so the Richmond California by way of having a safer term project in its own backyard, passed one of the most progressive policies around employment for formerly incarcerated convicted people in the country years ago. It was, it was like national um, news and it it was, it was the most progressive in the country. And it was amazing because what it did, what it did was the city of Richmond not only banned the box and said that they were not going to ask people about their convictions while hiring them, lest it was absolutely relevant to the job. They also were requiring vendors who, do, who did business with the city to have the same hiring practices, meaning that... If you have a business and you wanna do business with the city of Richmond, you also have to have fair hiring practices and give opportunities to formerly incarcerated convicted folks. That was huge for us. And then we come back a couple years later and was like, well, you know, housing is an issue as well, right? They came out of that research. And Richmond, California, again, became the first first, um, in the nation to pass a progressive housing policy around housing access. Um, and that policy was shaped by and informed by um, formerly incarcerated convicted people in our families. And so it was so amazing to be able to do that. And also our justice reinvestment work. I mean, Contra Costa County was the first county in California after um, realignment, AB 109 realignment to actually have a community advisory body to the community um, community corrections partnership we were the first county to have a a budget for programs and services that weren't just the sheriff and the district attorney's office getting money and probation getting money um we yeah we were we were we fought many jail expansions i mean think about it now Over 200 and something million dollars, 200 million and change has come to Contra Costa County in the last 10 years as a result of AB 109 realignment. 45 million and some change have went to reentry. That didn't exist 10 years ago. And that was because formerly incarcerated convicted people and our allies got out, safe return got out and said, we need to influence these dollars. Uh, we can't just let it go back to the system. And that's, that's just a little bit of what we do. Cause I can't, <laughs> we don't have enough time uh-huh. to talk about, you know, just the work that the Safer Term Project and our allies have done um, over the last couple, since 2010, it's just been amazing and you know, I'm consistently encouraged every day because the work continues.
0: So that's all a good thing um, that you don't have time to talk about all the work you've done. <laughs> um, I do wanna talk uh, kind of about two things that you mentioned. Um, so let's start with, um, uh, you know, fair, uh, fair employment practices. Um, I mean, what does that look like, you know, if I'm a business, uh, what if I don't want to hire somebody who's formerly incarcerated? How do you respond to that?
1: Right. You know, I mean, the other the other thing is we took on a school district and they now have fair hiring practices, right? Um, you know, one thing I say, one thing I say is like, it's your business, right? You have to think about you're thinking about the liability. You're thinking about, you know, what if this person hasn't changed? You know, do I have to fear this person? And I'm like, being form, a formerly incarcerated convicted person, there's no research out there that's going to tell you whether they're a good employee or not. Um, and we're we're going to work harder for you because we want it the most. We, we want the opportunity to show you that we can work hard, that we can produce, and that we will be an asset to your business. And I think just giving us a chance is, is important um don't assume right away that we're a liability assume we're an asset because for the for the most part we are um and then also it's individual basis like don't cast a wide net you know yeah and i think that's
0: that's a really important point is that um you know there's a really humongously broad uh, category of people that are are formerly incarcerated. Um, And, you know, like, I have people on my staff that were formerly incarcerated. They're also attorneys now. Um, So I mean, (laughs) you know, you you can get, uh, you know, when you get down to it, it, it is a very broad net. But you know, I think the other thing is, you know, that we need to figure out a way, um, you know, to really give people a chance to get out of their past somehow. And, you know, if you're going to just hang this label around them for the rest of their lives, that, that's not really that helpful. I mean, uh, you know, honestly, you don't look that much older than 26 now, but I mean, you're not the same person that you were when you were 26. And, you know, when 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 you're 45, uh, you shouldn't be necessarily held accountable for what you did when you were 26, right? I mean, <laughs>
1: no, no, no. I w- I'm gonna make different mistakes, but not yeah. the same. But not the same mistakes. Exactly.
0: I mean, but but everybody makes mistakes. Yes. So I, yeah. I mean, which is uh, which is one of the other points that I think a lot of people forget is that yeah, formerly incarcerated, you know. Um, hey, look. You know, a lot of things that a lot of non-incarcerated people did when they were young. You know, if they had been in the wrong place at the wrong time, could have ended up uh, with a very different story. Um, so, you know, uh, w- which I think is important. Um, the other point that you raised um, that I think is really important is is this notion of reentry, um, and and what kind of resources do we need to help people that are going from that transition, really, uh, from incarceration to being in the world and needing to get a job and and you know do the uh, I, I don't the adult thing. I don't know uh, what 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 terminology to use there, but you know to be able to be a responsible citizen um, you know, what kinds of tools are needed, uh, to do that, uh, more smoothly than we're doing it now?
1: I think what, you know, one thing that, one thing that we're missing is, um, like, what is the quality of pre-release services, right? Like, what is the plans that folks are making before they come home, right? And how soon do those plans start to happen? I think, you know, especially for people like jails are, jails are uh, revolving doors, right? They're not like prisons, right? Like um, prison, you have to be sentenced to, you know, years or more than a year. And now with the passing of like AB 109, you can't be sent to prison with nonviolent offenses, right? And so it's really like jail is a revolving door. How do we have, you know, resources and communities so people don't keep going in and out of jails in particular? Um, but for people who are with, but if you're sentenced to jail and not just arrested and held, Awaiting, right? A sentence or a charge. Most people sitting in jail aren't even charged with anything yet, right? Um, which is one issue. But like, how are you? What's happening on the inside for you to prepare you to come home? Most people who come home from prison, there's always this narrative around like two hundred dollars of gate money, right? And it's like, and if you don't have family ready there to pick you up, I mean, I didn't have none of that, but I had a, a home to go to. Some people do not, right? So like sometimes it's the pre-release. It's how, what do you need before you come home? Is it housing? Is it job? Is it family connections? What is it? And making sure that people aren't just being put out in the world. Um, when nobody dare to receive them is the most important part. And then when you're out in the world, what do the resources look like then around housing, job access? Do you want to go to school? What do you want to do and have a plan? I think that's the thing that I've seen that has been missing um, for the most part. Um, And something else
0: that we haven't talked about uh, is the impact of trauma. And we know statistically... That the vast majority of people that end up incarcerated um, did so in part because they were victimized uh, at a younger age, and then uh, that was untreated, uh, and then uh, they end up uh, offending at some point, and and then they get released, and often they still have that trauma, even though uh, plus you know incarceration is traumatic itself. Um, and so, you know, there have to be uh, the services. And I know as a parent of uh, somebody who was severely traumatized uh, before he came to live with us, um, you know, uh, it's really hard to get services um, and it's really hard to get good services. Um, so is that an aspect that you guys work on as well?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, we Healing is a big thing for us as safe return. And that's not to say like healing doesn't have a time frame on it, right? We tell people that um, healing doesn't mean like you're healed, you know, <laughs> you're healed, pick up your mat and go, right? Like no, like trauma leaves a scar. And it's a memory of what 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 you've been through. And so how do you live a quality life with those scars? And that's kind of what we work on is to not pretend we didn't face um, trauma and harm that got us to where we were. We know that most people, if not the majority of folks, um, behind, behind enemy lines in jails and in prisons have been victims at some point in their lives of trauma and, um, and society dropped the ball. Um, and so, you know, when I always, I was, um, in a meeting once and somebody was, you know, people were saying like, okay, we got to make sure that folks are healthy. You know, we got to make sure that people are healthy. And I was like, why do we always talk about, Formerly incarcerated, convicted people, as if we're the ones who are sick and need to be healed. We do need that. What if it was the world that was sick, <laughs> right? And I don't as know what, a re- what the, if is uh, really the question, <laughs> right? What if it's the world that's sick, and <laughs> as a result, you have sick. You know, you have people who have trauma, right? Who need to be healed, right? And so we do focus on that as an organization. We actually released a report called Arresting Trauma. Of course, it focused on women and girls and non-gender conforming individuals. Um, And we understand that it could also be across the board because there are a lot of men in jails and prisons because somebody didn't protect them, right? and when we are talking to district attorneys and we're talking about resentencing and you have you know district attorneys running saying tough on crime tough on crime we got to protect the victims and i'm saying like you do know i was a victim before i committed a harm so you're you act as if i forfeited the harm that I experienced because I because I hurt somebody else, which no, hurt people hurt people right. The trauma continues to trickle down if you don't handle it. And so, for the most part, tough on crime folks, folks who are like, we need to protect victims. Victims have rights. Um, we're we have we we have been victims. <laughs> we were victims in our community, and you didn't do anything. We came we became victims to the system, um, and you didn't fix it to make it right. And then we we came home and became victims to disenfranchising policies that don't allow us to um, build our lives. And we' we're, we're and I know it's it's controversial to say it that way, and it's true.
0: But I think you said it really well. Um, And I think, I think, you know, that is the point that is just missing from a lot of the narrative on victims is that, you know, victims are, um, who are not treated, you know, continue the harm that was done to them and they do it to others. And so in a way, what we have to do is break this cycle of uh, victims uh, in order to heal and, and alleviate the crime. So uh, we're, we're just about out of time, but um, for those listening, what can, they do to help you guys in your mission?
1: Yeah, I mean, to help Safe Return, you can, um, you can always donate (laughs) to the organization, you know, every dollar counts towards our work, to be able to help our folks rebuild their lives through our um, fellowships and our leadership development programs um, and all the support that we give back out there to our folks um, returning home from incarceration or even if they've been in a community for years but just need support. So donations matter. Volunteer, volunteer your time, come you know uh come work with us do outreach you know voter engagement mentor become a mentor to our young folks and our adults <laughs> you know we need mentors too um you know the other thing you can do to help save return is stop supporting bad policies that prevent people from accessing a quality life please please do not support um tough on crime rhetoric. The world is not any worse than it was pre-pandemic. Um, we just have a lot of people suffering. So the mo- the, the, if you don't do anything else for the safer Term Project, the one thing you can do is not support bad policy based on false narratives that's going to prevent people from having a quality life. And your website? um www.safereturnprj.org um, where you can also follow us on facebook at safe return project instagram at safe return project twitter at safe return project and you can follow me on linkedin at tamisha walker um on linkedin um as well and um yeah and um tamisha underscore walker on twitter um, we are always communicating with, uh, with the public. You can also, if you want to get directly involved, you can email me at Tanisha at safe um, so we can connect.
0: Great. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, uh, sharing your very inspiring story and very heartfelt experience, uh, which I think uh, not enough people um, are able to to listen to this and understand, you know, what it's like to be uh, formerly incarcerated and then trying to do the right thing and, and get your life back in order and all the hurdles that we put up uh, for people.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me for having me and um, this opportunity to talk about safe and the work we do and how important it is for our folks coming home and incarcerated to have better Mm -hmm. opportunities.
0: This Mm -hmm. has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening, Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.